You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. If you would pray with me, God, thanks for your word, your goodness, your people gathered, kids running around and going back to classes where they might learn about you and they might meet others who they might walk with in their journey with you for a long, long time. I ask that you would open our minds, our eyes, our ears, our hearts today to know you, to trust you, to treasure you and the fullness of who you are above everything else in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> this word says, and they devoted themselves. Like that word devoted is, I don't know, it's kind of like meaty, you know? It's like a, a great word. When I hear that, I'm like, yeah, devoted, that's a good word. W- what a line. This passage that, that Kelly just read is, is like my, one of my like hall of fame Bible passages as, you know, having deeply impacted my relationship with God and his people. I probably preached on this. I I said this, I think, in the first uh, sermon in this series as well, but probably preached on this passage more than any other, nearly. Um, But it's also true not only in my relationship, but, but it's impactful for the church to see an early version of it's of itself. It's a snapshot of the beauty of community uh, devoted to God, formed by the gospel, sent on mission. Before my grandpa or grandma passed four or so years ago, she kind of got on a bit of a family history kick. And so she was like finding roots stuff. And she found these, you know, photographs from like the 1800s. And you just see these people. And, and, and I just you look at them, my, my dad was passionate about that, found uh, land deeds f- from my family that we still have in the hills of Tennessee somewhere, even some letters, some documents, some, some Bibles with scribbles around it, and it's just so cool to see, like, man, that's, in some way, that's where I come from, right? Uh, it's cool to see a picture and to fill in, to, to fill in some gaps and, and imagine daily life just from one picture, from one snapshot where they, they dressed up, I think, maybe, and they smiled or really they, they scowled. I think it was against the law to smile in photos in the 1800s, and so they didn't. Uh, and, and, and just to see my family at the same place at the same time. And here in this picture in Acts chapter 2, and if you don't like lock it in, Acts chapter 2 uh, 42 through 47, it's like, it's not the, it's not the one, but it's, it's a one that builds out community on mission in just the sweetest way, right? Um, <clears throat> what we see is, is a day in the life of our spiritual family, and we see the commands and the calls and the narratives throughout all scripture, but, but here we get a little glimpse. In the gospels, we see, uh, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the, the account of Jesus, from birth to death, but his story didn't end there because he, he defeated death and he, and he resurrected and he rose. And so we see all of his teachings and all this stuff happened in those four books of the Bible. But then right after that, it's, it's the Acts of the Apostles. And what that is, is it's when Jesus left and everyone looked around and they were like, now what? 
And we're living in that now what? And what happened was he ascended into the clouds after he resurrected and, and walked around for 40 days and he taught. He ascended into the clouds and two angels came down and they said to the church, what are you looking at? Go and, and do what he said to do and live the life that he told you to live. He will be back. And so the, the book of Acts is, is just them figuring that out. That's what happens in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, they're, uh, basically the, the, the world, the Jewish world is gathered together for some big annual celebration they do. They're from all over the place. They speak different languages. They come together, and a guy named Peter is, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he speaks the truth of the gospel, and he tells them about Jesus and, and life in him and all of those things, and, and they all hear him speaking in their own language, right? And that, that's what we see tongues in Acts chapter 2. It was called Pentecost. Go figure, right? And, and what happened there was, was the gospel uh, seed was planted, and all those people went back home, and they told the story, it told the story of, of Jesus. And in the end of chapter 1, or, or at the end of uh, or the middle of chapter 2, we see this line. It says, and, and 3,000 were added to the kingdom that day. 3,000 people came to know and trust Jesus in one day. Can, can you imagine? Like, we're pretty organized as a church. They weren't at all. And they're just like, what do we do? 3,000 people in one day, like, yes, I want to be a part of that. Like, we have to order some more chairs, right? That's, that's what would have to happen. And so, and then right after that, we, we see what they did. They devoted themselves. The word devote is to give all or a large part of one's time or resources to something, to a person, an activity, a cause. It's to give yourself to something, to be devoted. So the question is, what are you? What are you devoted to? And maybe a better question for today is, what are we devoted to? What are you about? You know that, that if I have an interaction and I, I meet you, and it's probably someone that I met last week, and I'll ask you the same thing because I'm trying to learn faces and names, and I say, well, what, are, what are you about? People were like, I don't know. And what we get to figure out is we get to figure out what we are about. And we probably say a list of things, an activity, a thing, I, I'm devoted to this activity, I'm devoted to uh, these people, but, but what's at the core of all of those things? What are you devoted to? It's, it's a great thing to consider. And as a church, we are a church, and that means something, that means that we have shared common belief and a shared common identity. That means that, that we are Christ's, and he is ours. We are sons and daughters of, of the greatest king. That, that's who we are. And it means that we have a shared mission that lives and moves and breathes a, a certain way. And that's what we're spending our life devoted to figuring out what that way looks like. Right? And so, so you stack that up day by day and it becomes the sum of our days. And one day we won't be here in this life as we are in these bodies anymore. And so what we're devoted to, it really matters. God's mission marches through the ordinary welcome of God's devoted people. So here we are marching. This is the fourth sermon, probably the final sermon in this series called Make Room. And today we're looking at 
hospitality together. And, and, and what we've been defining hospitality as is the action or the practice of receiving and treating guests kindly with generosity and consideration. There's some intentionality behind that. And then, and then what I've been saying that we want to do, even in this series and, and in life together, is creating visible expressions of welcomeness that reflect the way we have been welcomed by Christ. That's what we want to do. So the early church was devoted to many things, but here we're just going to look at three of them. And we don't have time to go like into the depths of all these, but, but here we go. I want this to be practical. I think that it will be. The early church was devoted to the word. That's pretty simple. You can read with me Acts chapter 2 verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers. The apostles' teaching, the word. If the mission that we were on was something really simple, like get on a jet and fly in a direction and reach a particular destination, if that was our mission, then God's word would be our navigational bearing that shapes the flight path and without his word, we as God's people are, are lost, we are sunk, we crash and we burn, we are blind, we are helpless, and we are hopeless. And you might say, I, ah, that's true. And then you would say, all right, then, then what does it look like for you to be devoted to this if, if you really believe that that is true? If we do together believe that that is true. I love Christmas. Like, I I, I love Christmas, right? And I love uh, gifts, and I love giving gifts, and I love receiving gifts. Is that okay? I mean, whatever. Like, I'm not a big animal fan either, so if you're going to hate me, just hate me. It's fine, right? <clears throat> I love Christmas and gifts and all that comes with that. And this year, I got a gift for each person in my immediate family, right? Uh, and I wrap them all the same, and I put them under the tree, and, uh, and, you know, Titus, he doesn't want to know anything about his gifts. In Ireland, she's, like, super curious, like, what are these? And Kim's like, what is that? Like, I didn't, I don't even know. And, and to be clear, when I said uh, I got a, a gift for each person in our immediate family, that includes myself, right? And so why are there four of these? That is the question. Why are there four of the same thing? Uh, and so I, I had gotten some shirts from Mission Wear. Uh, it's a company that sells some stuff with cool things on it or whatever. Um, you can get glasses and shirts and other things. So, so Titus's shirt, it was a, a Spurgeon quote, and it said something like, there is hardship in everything except for pancakes, right? That's what I got him. Charles Spurgeon, there's hardship in everything except for eating pancakes. That's true. Me, I got the classic Soli Deo Gloria, like all to glory of God alone. <clears throat> and for the girls, I got... Uh, the same thing, and their shirts say, don't follow your heart, right? And that's tough. Like, I'm just inviting, um, you know, criticism into their life, or certainly into Ireland's life, who's a ninth grader. Don't, do not follow your heart, right? That's what it said. And so, uh, to summarize motivationally why I would do that, uh, John Bloom wrote a book, Don't Follow Your Heart. I've not read that, but I did read an article uh, on Desiring God about that, and this is a quote that was in there. Should be on the screens, yeah. It says, follow your heart is a creed embraced by billions of people 
It's a statement of faith that is true. Follow your heart. That's a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith in one of the great pop cultural myths of our day. A gospel proclaimed in many of our stories, movies, and songs. It can sound so simple, so beautiful, and liberating. It's tempting to believe until you consider that your heart has sociopathic tendencies. Our hearts were never designed to be followed, but to be led. Our hearts were never meant to be gods in whom we believe, but to believe in God. In the quote on the shirt, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, the heart in ancient times was the core of our being. It's, it's, it's similarly true today. It's, it's the core of who we are. Like in the heart of hearts, what, what are you? What are you about or whatever? And so it's out of which everything else flows, our, our speech it's the overflow of our heart that our mouth speaks and that we, that we rage. Our emotions are all tied to that. And, and, and so the question is, if I can't trust myself in the core of my own being, then what or who can I trust in all things? And I can find my favorite Greek philosopher or a movement or an author, or I can listen to a YouTuber or a podcaster. I can read the ancients or subscri subscribe to the moderns and, and, and listen to anybody who has a microphone, and every one of them have the same problem. It's that their heart is deceitful above all things. Devoted to the word. These people were devoted to the word. And what that would have meant is it would have included Jesus' earthly teachings, the things that Jesus taught the apostles, those that knew him and that interacted with him, plus what he taught uh, the apostles in his 40 days of resurrection and his appearances. And if we, if we scale that out for us, we don't know those guys. We don't know those men and women who walked with Jesus. But as we consider the principle, the entire God-breathed, what we call canon of Scripture, the complete uh, the complete deal, the, the, the full package of God's word, the red letters and the black letters. All of it. The prophets, the apostles, and Jesus who was the living word in the spirit who shines light on all of these things. So we get to consider how this is part of our lives individually. If that's true, if I cannot be trusted. And I know that's, that's a human condition apart from the spirit through us, we get to decide what this means for us, and we get to invest life pouring over the word, and we get to invest life letting it pour over us. We get to do that individually, and we get to do that together. There's something in church history, or a reflection of church history, called the regulative principle, and it's what the church does when it gathers, right? And, and it's like what, uh, historically, the, the guides or the pillars or the signposts that guides what the church does when it gathers. And some are like just hard, fast, you can't do anything outside of these things. And others are like, eh, it's all a bit ish. And so the elders actually have been exploring what this looks like for us and, and what we do when we gather. Not because what we do is bad, but we want to make sure that we're able to let you know and even, even teach through the process, through the, through the 90 minutes or 80 minutes or, or longer that we gather together on a Sunday, we want to teach what we're trying to do. And so we have to figure out what we're trying to do. And so 
We, we don't know a lot. The regulative principle is basically reading the word and preaching the word. Check, check. And singing the word. So what we, the songs that we sing, they really matter. Because if they're oriented around my heart and what I believe, that's different than, than around God's word. And then, then praying the word, the prayers that we pray, even through these microphones matter. And then seeing the word, and, and historically the church uses that to describe the ordinances, baptism, the Lord's Supper, communion, whatever. <clears throat> what we know, though, is, is if you're part of a church where the word is just an add-on, like it's not central, then you should, you should ask questions. And you should say, it just sounds like this is, this is not central to what we're doing, but it's just something that we add on. You should ask your leaders, and you should seek clarity, and then when you get what you're looking for, you either say, yeah, I get that, or you say, I'm going to find another church where the word is central. That's true for this one. That's true for any church that you're a part of. We may not together, I don't know if you know this, we may not be the coolest church on the planet. I'm sorry. Some of you are like, what? But I thought, that's why I'm here. We may not be the, uh, the coolest church on the planet, and that may be because you are here, right? <laughs> That's okay, right? Uh, we may not have tall ceilings. We may not have windows, stained glass or otherwise. We do have some windows, right? And they're somewhat stained, right? Uh, our music may not strike you like you want it to, and you might be into different genres, and I would say, man, I, I get it. Uh, you might not like black backgrounds with white words on the screens. You might be like, we could, Right? That's not an accident. It's fine or whatever. My jokes may bomb week after week after week. And maybe you haven't quite found your best friend here. Maybe you haven't even found your people and you come in and you're like, gosh, it is a chore to show up here and I don't, this is tough. And maybe you popped around a few community groups and you're like, those people are weird, right? And I get you, like I am a part of one, I know. We said the same thing about you when you, I'm kidding, we didn't. But what I do know is we're committed to opening the book and we're committed to letting this book open us. And the invitation is for you to live your life devoted to the same thing. Second thing is, is they're devoted to one another. <clears throat> we see this in the, the subsequent verses in 43. Um, I'll read the, uh, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Like the Spirit was showing up and moving miraculously. And all who believed were together. That's wild. Totally wild. And, all, and they had all things in common. And you might say, this sounds like communism. Communism's forced on people. This is more like, I won't even give a word, right? But, but it's more like a common unity where they were motivated to be generous to one another. Not because they had to, but because their hearts were melted by God's grace and mercy in their own life. And they were committed to one another. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Right, this word fellowship, like Christian cliche, no one uses the word fellowship, and if they do, then you know they've been in the church for at least 15 years, right? Probably longer than that. But, but we use it like, yeah, it was just really good fellowship. What it means is partnership, participation, sharing, contribution. It's not merely playing golf together. Like, guys, that's, you did not fellowship if you merely played golf together. You played golf together. 
It's not merely, hey, Tuesday night, seven to nine, men's hangout, pinball garage just down the road. I want you to be there if you're a dude. Please be there. It's not merely playing pinball, being in the same place at the same time. It's not merely sips and scones or being in the same place at the same time with other men or women or whatever, but it is same place and same time that leans into care and share. And so you have breaking bread. Like sharing a meal, that like, okay, awkward or not, here we come. If you're sharing a meal together, and some say this is the Lord's Supper, some say, and it doesn't matter, they're sharing a meal. I don't know what this looked like. They're praying for one another to the Lord, dependent upon him, and they have a common unity among them. See, I remember the early days of the village. We were like, we, we started with 17 adults, and I always say, I, I don't know, 100 kids, 30 kids, something like that. Living rooms, YMCA. We tried to cultivate mission like lots of times in lots of different ways. And we'll be like, all right, this is it. This month, we're going to focus on one thing. Like, rake your neighbor's leaves. It's the fall. Like, you can do that. And we would be like, all right, this is the, the raz. This is a random acts of service. This is what we're doing. Right? How are we getting these people, these loaves that show up week after week, to get out there and do something for the kingdom? Right, rake leaves this, hey, go, uh, bake cookies this month, right? It's December, whatever. And so we try to do that, and it was like deflating. We're like, tell us your story, and like, there's no story. No, I was doing it. Or maybe you, you're like, I did that once. No one else did? I had no idea. But here's the thing. Like, I remember, like, we had leadership meetings and elders meetings, and I remember, like, writing on the board to Scott and Matt and some cold stuff it did have tall ceilings, but some cold office, some junked up market board. I remember like writing, what are we doing? Like, what is this? I was working full time somewhere else and it's like, I, we can't, we're going to die. Like, what, what is happening? But what we did have was love for God's word and for one another. That we did have. See, mission and community can sometimes feel strained, like they're pitted against one another. It's like you can either be for the people in the room or for the people outside of the room, but you can't be for both. And sometimes like, ah, that, all right, we get to evaluate our our own lives. And we're going to say, if all I ever do is spend time with non-Christians, like, okay, you probably need to spend some time with your family. But if all you do is spend time with Christians, you probably need to say, man, what does it look like for me to open up a bit. They're not pitted against one another. Community groups that grow, multiply, and then you say, this is dumb. I like those people. Man, I like those people better, and now they're meeting somewhere else, and I'll never get to share a meal with them again. That's hard. Groups, groups multiply, and you say, well, did mission win there? Because this doesn't feel good. You say, did community win there? Because whatever. No, no, community won, so the mission marches. That's just what happens. It's not one or the other, it's both. This gathering here that, we, that we're here right now, this gathering, my prayer is that we grow to the point to, that we have to figure something out about where to put people. I, I wanna plant churches. The, the elders of this church wanna plant churches. People in this room, we wanna plant churches, right? So we do something, we do gospel eldership. We, we want to speak to men and we say, this is what leadership looks like wherever you are, but this is what leadership looks like in the church, just so you know to help bear burden, but also to join the spirit that he might be saying, hey, 
You know that thing I've been, like, like maybe we're coming alongside prayers prayed and the Spirit's word breathed that we might go and plant churches here, there, and everywhere. <clears throat> we want to build a culture where disciples and communities of disciples multiply. And, and God's, but by God's grace, we'll build up and we will send out. And if we can't fit any more people here, we either tell people to stop showing up or we figure it out. We make room for them to be part of this community however we have to do that. And so you know us, or maybe you don't, but we are not a church that's like grow at all costs and like, right, that whole cooler bit that I talked about, that's just, that, that's tipping the hat to who we really are, right? We are not grow at all cost if the cost is forsaking one another. And we're not one another at all cost if the cost is aborting the mission, In the last month, somebody came up twice and said, hey, I didn't have a place to park. It's like, oh, and we'd say, oh, high five, that's awesome, right? Didn't have a place to park. Ah, uh, shoot, that means that other people may not have had a place to park, right? I'll just tell you this. I'll tell you this as, as a church family. There's a parking lot. Everyone's parked right there. There's a parking lot on the other side, a little sketch maybe, depending on when you get here. Got to walk through an alley or maybe around the block or whatever, be wise. If your legs don't move like they used to, you don't have to park over there. If you're, uh, uh, you know, whatever, if you're by yourself and, and it just doesn't feel comfortable, don't park there. You can do whatever you want with that. We've got to be mindful. I'm just telling you there's a huge parking lot on the other side of this building. You can do with that whatever you want to do with it, right? Two weeks ago, we had, uh, in this space, we, we unloaded 90 chairs, 90 new chairs. We got them a different color because we like three, I'm kidding, they're blue, oh, Liz, Liz. Liz was like, what? You, what? <laughs> They've been here, Liz, and, and you didn't, maybe you didn't know. They're, they're, they're really close, all right? So we ordered 90 chairs, right? We, we, are, we are making a mess down there. We, we ripped some holes in walls and that is gonna get way worse before it gets better, right? So, so why are we doing that? We're making a bit of a hospitality headquarters down there. And here's the thing. You don't know this. You go get coffee over there week after week. They don't have water. They don't have a drain over there. And so they, they have to get water there. They drag it out on wheels and, and pack mules and other things. It's wild. We want to make that better. We want to serve them but we also want to serve everyone who comes in these doors. And we want to serve the people who use this space throughout the week. And so we want to get water there and want to have a nice place. We'll take that place out, put some more chairs, casual seating. But then we're going to take that wall and we're going to tear that wall out. <clears throat> Before Easter, probably after Easter, we're going to tear that wall out and we'll extend that hallway and we'll put, I don't know, 35 or 40 more chairs over there. Why are we doing that? It's to make room for you. It's to make room for your family. It's to make room for your neighbor. It's to make room for your enemy that you get to love in the name of Jesus. It's to make room for your coworker who doesn't know Jesus that you've been praying for for five years. I want them to sit in these seats. We want to create visible expressions of, of welcomeness. If you walk into someone's house, there's no place to sit. 
You stand in the kitchen, right? I know. Some of your community groups are like that. Some of ours are like that sometimes. If you're in, you better be the one standing in the kitchen. Good gravy. Invite someone to dinner, there's no chair for them. <laughs> that's weird. Stand in the corner, that's fine. We don't want to do that here. But beyond the 210, we, we, we encourage our leaders to read a, a book called Welcome. I'll quote a bit more today. I encourage the serve team leaders to tell me and us one way they're going to increase hospitality in their team. You know why I tell you that? Because like one has told me what they're going to do. It's been like two months. So if you're on a team, your serve team leader, your deacon has not like talked to you about that, then you get to talk to them. Be like, hey, what, when are we getting together to brainstorm how we can be more hospitable as a team? We changed our communication strategy. It's not perfect, whatever. Nothing is. Why do we do that? Because we had nine things that you had to juggle just to receive communication from someone. And so now you can, you can connect and you can commit to serve and you can give and you can do all the things in, in one place. That, that's an act of hospitality. That's not us just loving tech, although I do love tech, right? Connect month, February connect month, we'll have a huddle after gathering the first Sunday, if you're new here and you don't know anybody and it's all disorienting every time you come here and you're like, I don't know how to get connected, I don't know who I'm supposed to talk to, go to that huddle. We want to say, hey, this is who we are, this is my name, what is your name, how can we help get you connected? If you've been walking along, you've not been baptized, we have a baptism basics class for you in that month. We, have, we, will ha we will offer Village Gate. And so if you're like, man, I've been around here. How do I make this family and this place my home? We want to show you how to do that through membership. We want to baptize you at the end of the month. So, so we're trying to be mindful about all those things. We are through the app and whatever. We are tracking health in a way that we never have. Are numbers everything. Numbers are not everything. If you're committed to weight loss or increasing your weight or whatever it may be, in the, in, in the pounds or whatever, that number is everything. I'll just let you know this. I got sick about 10 years ago and lost 17 pounds in one week. I was not healthier because I lost 17 pounds. But if we're mindful of those things, we have a good pulse on who we are and what we're doing, we, we get to say, hey, who's connecting to a community group and who's not? How many of the people that say that they're contributing to this and not just taking from it, how many of those people are giving? How many of those people are serving and, and contributing on a Sunday and outside? So we, get to, so we get to do that. And so what you get to do is when, when your serve team leader sends out an invitation that says, hey, are you going to serve? You get to click accept. That helps us. It helps them. I think it helps you. So those are some simple ways that we're cultivating community with a mindfulness of mission to make room for others to experience genuine, free from the need to earn love community in a world that demands that, demands that, that, that we earn love. Not in this kingdom. We open wide our doors, our lives, our hope of a love beyond this life that's earned by the obedience of Jesus granted to us by his grace through faith alone. So consider what the Gospels and Acts tell us if we tease them out. 
Look at this. I, I'll just, you can hit that next slide. I just want to hit on these real quickly, right? Uh, not, it's not a playbook, but it's a heart check in, in the book. Uh, welcome. Oh, just kidding. I'll say words. Uh, there is a, a radical welcome of all ethnicities that we see in the New Testament of all ethnicities. In a culture where citizenship was your lineage, Jesus opened his kingdom to the Jews and the Greeks and the Romans and the Gentiles and the religious and all who would believe. There was a a radical welcome of all classes in a culture where the status that you're born in is, is the status that you died in. Jesus flipped the script on his own status so that we might be elevated into the family of God. A radical welcome of of women and girls in a culture where women and girls had no voice. Jesus paved the way for women and children and men of all types to come to him to learn, to receive, and to contribute. Is that what you're about? What are you doing about it? Is that what we're about? What what are we doing about it? And we we see... um, Jesus said, and they will know that you're mine by the love you have for one another. When you look at the Christian landscape across Twitter and all the other spaces, is that what the world sees? <laughs> and they will, and they, the world outside will know that you're mine by the love you have for one another? It is almost a joke. That's comical. And yet... That is our call and our invitation. A couple of weeks ago, a, a bro reached out to me. He's a part of this church, probably in this room. And he said, hey, like, I don't think, I think there's like something off between us and I would love to chat about it. <clears throat> and we did. And that is, that is how we protect unity. There was nothing off. Like, we were just whatever. It just didn't, no, we're good. I'm good. Hey, bro, hug it out, whatever. Like, things are great. But what a gift to have someone come to me and say, hey, are things off? Because what could have happened is, is, is bitterness festers and grows, and they leave the church disenfranchised and angry at me for nothing three years from now. That's how, we, that's how we keep common unity. That's how we protect unity. We give benefit of doubt and we walk humbly and, and honestly. And, and we speak truth through the medium of love and we speak love through the medium of truth. And we put Christ's work before my own and his grace is the foundation of my work and his mercy is is fueling our love and contribution to one another. Third thing that they were devoted to was the mission. If anything is true about this peak that we we see uh, into the life of the church, it's it's that the church is better together. I, I believe that. I don't think I believe that naively, but I think we are better together and, and the world watches on. We get to see the beauty of what God is up to through the very ordinary means of his devoted people and the Lord added to them daily. Let's read this last uh, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is not crazy stuff. They were devoted to God and the way of God and the things of God and the people of God. And as the ordinary hospitality from God through his people to his people to the world outside. It's easy to think that in times like these that the world is loud and mean and scary. And okay, like it kind of is. And you could say like one word that you don't even know what it means and then you get ostracized from your community and you're like, I didn't. I... And people say, well, you should have known. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a culture ripe for strife. But, but two things. One, God is at work. He was at work then. He was the one that grew his church. He is at work, and he's up to the challenge. And, and two, the world may not be as hostile as you think. And they may be. Right? Hostility is loud. But there are a lot of people probably just going through life struggling and trying to figure it out. Do you believe? I'm not saying they're neutral. They're either... They're either for God because he's for them or they're not, but they're probably not as hostile as you think. Uh, author Michael Graham, not me, and another author, but I didn't write down his name because well, it wasn't Michael Graham, right? Uh, they, they wrote the book, The Great Dechurching. And in that book, it's basically a sociological work um, that looks at a whole bunch of data. And I won't bore you with that, um, but it's, it's why are all these people leaving the church and who are they and and, and what is going on, and, and I'll read some quotes. He says, the de-churched aren't necessarily hostile to church, but have fallen out of habit. Maybe they moved, like COVID really wrecked someone's bearing on what's important or, or whatever, and so it's just easy not to. Uh, they need a friend or neighbor to invite and to walk with them in the transition back to social connection and theological hope. Whatever the reason, the majority would return to church with an invitation from a friend. And some of you are like, hey, that's me. That's true. That's what happened to me. That's why I'm here. And I would say, that's awesome. I'm super glad that you're here. I'm super glad that someone asked you. He goes on, he says, eating right or going to the gym or the way that you spend your money or whatever, you know that you should, but sometimes you need a nudge. And, and he says, who do you know that may need an encouragement back into the life and the way of Jesus? Who do you know? That might not be ready to, to block you on all your social channels, but they're just waiting for a call of a kind voice who gives a rip and who actually believes this to be true. Include them in your life. And, and, he, and, and he goes on, he says, 100%. Now this isn't, there's a different types and those that are hurt by the church and all this stuff. But 100% of former, former church goers would be willing. Some need a nudge and some need dinner. Uh, some need dinner over, uh, they need a meal at your dinner table, right? And, and some need years of investment. Consistent, real world relational investment. What we see is, is 3,000 were added to the kingdom in this day. 
and we see that they're devoted to community. They're devoted to God's word and to one another, and they're thought well of by outsiders, and, and they grow, and in three chapters, uh, two of them lie to the Holy Spirit, and they're struck dead, right? And the chapter after that, one of these guys is stoned. He's preaching the gospel, and he's telling them, God, forgive these people who are, who are, who are killing me with rocks. So, right, it's a snapshot, <laughs> right? Uh, Things go south a bit from here, but ultimately that's God's plan to, to grow. What we do know is that, that we don't know in this room what happened on Tuesday. And we don't know uh, who was there or, or who, who, where was there. We don't know who preached every week and we don't know who hosted community group or who made coffee. But we do know that they shared the gospel and not only the gospel but their whole lives and meals and a table as part of the ordinary, extraordinary mission of God. And what we do know is that, that we can't do that as an add-on or as an accident. And so we love increasingly those inside and those outside. And we do that that we might increase God's glory and his joy and his kingdom. And look, if you think, gosh, in the name of mission, the church should grow. And you think, oh gosh, yeah, but that's an uncomfortable conversation in a weird place. Uh, and I don't even know the words but just think about this. There are people in this room that don't know, trust, treasure Jesus. So maybe the most likely person that would be a part of God's kingdom growth would be the one who decided to walk down those stairs even today. Why do I say that? Because it matters how we interact with the people in this room Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Rebecca McLaughlin, she says, uh, famously now quoted in lots of places, she says, my husband has three rules of engagement when we gather with the church. One, an alone person in our gathering is an emergency. Two, friends can wait. Three, introduce a newcomer to someone else. Now, I have to believe that if we lived as if that were true and we said, you know what? Let's be devoted to that. We need a bigger building. There are people in this room, even right now, that can't speak English. Some of you can speak Spanish. For, for God's sake, before you leave this space today, Talk to them. There are people in this room hurting and broken, disenfranchised, separated from the church, whatever. Good grief, have a conversation. I know it's weird. And I... The artist Vincent Van Gogh, he was not appreciated while he lived. And he sold one painting seven months before he died for like 400 francs. Hot dogs, French money, I don't know what that is. I have no idea. <clears throat> in 2022, the orchard with cypresses, I've never seen it. I, I probably know what that looks like, cleverly as it's called, the orchard with cypresses, sold for one, uh, $117.2 million. That's wild. No one knew. We learned that when Jesus left, there were about 120 disciples. That's it. On the planet. 
120 people following Jesus when he, when he died and, and was raised. He made a little splash in his own town, but he didn't go viral, right? Uh, as it were, and, and by, but, but by the sovereign grace of God and the equipping of the Spirit and the devotion of the saints to God and his ways, here we stand. God's mission marches. How sweet is that? Historians and sociologists say that Christianity grew at a rate of 40% per decade in Acts 1, they were uh, 120 Christians today. 2,000 years later, we number in the billions. The primary mission strategy of God is, is his church. It's not me. It's not the guy next door. It's not some program. It's not if I just, it's, it's just us living this way, being devoted to these things, and inviting others in. The, I'm sorry to disappoint if you thought it was something more glamorous. It's you and a meal. That's the mission strategy of God to save the world. And if I'm being honest, like, he's done all right so far. He's not done yet. Rodney Stark says this, uh, to, to cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered Charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing. The question is, is that you? Is that me? Is that us? The, the early church was a city on a hill, a light, a beacon, a welcome to all who needed comfort and care. And so if, if we are willing, these things can be true of us as well. As, as the Spirit moves in us, uses us, our lives and our homes can be obvious beacons of safety in dangerous places. They were devoted to God, to one another. And, and these two things were what God used to devote the church to his mission. So as the band comes up, here's the question. If someone were to take a photograph of us and not like all together on the stair steps of some local building, but, but if they were to write a, a paragraph blurb about God's work through you today, this week, this month, this year, this, this five-year period of our life together. And, and, and our ancestors in the future and, and faith could read and they could see that little blurb just about little old us. Would it, would it show them the way of Jesus? Would it build them up in the ways of a life devoted to God, his people, and his mission? I sure hope so. And I'm really looking forward to us continuing to figure that out together. God's mission marches through the ordinary welcome of God's devoted people. We can respond, sit, stand, sing, pray. If you're in Christ, take communion as a reminder that, that, that he is the foundation 
for all of these meals and for all of this that we said is true. It's his work to us first and the Spirit's work through us second. So we get to reflect and we get to repent, turn from sin in our life, be honest about who we are and trust this meal, Christ's body broken, his blood shed for our forgiveness and our eternal life together. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for your generosity to us. Thanks that you open up your table. God, and if there are people in this room that are not yours, would you let them not take this, this meal? Would you let them consider you, chat with us? God, can we be a people that shines bright your light even though we meet in a basement? Can we go as, as a city on a hill pointing to you? Start with, with me, with my family, with each of us. God, thank you that you do what you do through clumsy people like us. In Jesus' name, amen.